Have you ever had one of those moments when you meet someone you know is going to be a friend for life? You know, those folks that you feel this unexplainable connection to only to find out later that you have so much in common on a level much deeper than ordinary life, right? Much deeper than that surface level. I love it when that happens. Hello, hello, it's Shara Carruthers here, and you're listening to the Live Like You Love Yourself podcast. And how are you doing out there as we start to wrap up the year that was 2020? What are you thinking about or planning for next year? You know, this year was certainly one that threw us for a bit of a loop and maybe maybe even prepared us a little bit better for living in a space of uncertainty. But that doesn't mean that we can't charge into 2021 without an intention. My intention is to continue along the path of being open to discovering and connecting with people who are uncommonly kind, generous, and wise. And today I'm grateful and excited to be sharing a conversation that Maria and I had with one such person. Her name is Alma Duran, and she's a kindred spirit. You know what? The coolest thing is that I've never actually met her in person. So I met Alma about a year or so ago in Jay Brown's weekly yoga teacher's class, and I was immediately drawn to the natural and graceful way that she carries herself and that she shares from the heart. And over time, I actually found myself wanting to hear more from her, wanting to know more about her and her background and her motivations for teaching what she teaches in the way that she teaches. And so I reached out and I asked her if she'd be interested in having a chat with us. And as it turns out, she's a listener of the podcast. And so she agreed to join us for a chat. And I'm so glad that I asked her because her story turned out to be so much more captivating than I could have ever imagined. Alma is a doctor of anthropology, a senior yoga and Zen meditation instructor who's currently based in Merida, Mexico. And I got to tell you, the road to where she is now has been so winding and so full of interesting stops along the way. So we talk about all of that along with Alma's views on what's truly important in practice and in life. And ultimately, she shares her ideas about what it means to live like you love yourself. So please enjoy this enchanting conversation that Maria and I had with Alma Duran. good to see you and to have you all to ourselves and your internet is great and you look beautiful and clear and thank you well i'm just so happy to be here with you to speak to two people who are so interested in yoga so i am what a treat oh and oh my goodness and you you have the exact same feeling that we do because maria and i are constantly talking to each other just about how wonderful it is just to be able to talk to somebody else who like wow. loves yoga and who thinks about it as much as we do and like wants to talk about all the different aspects of it. Uh-huh. And I think, yeah. I think that's part of why I was like, we got to get Alma. And I was just saying to Maria <laughs> before, I was explaining kind of how I knew you and yeah. from, um, uh-huh. from Jay's, you know, teacher's class and how I, there are uh-huh. just people you just, you immediately feel a connection with and that they've got this yeah. interesting story and that that venue isn't really enough to kind of dive in you know to the stories and so I was telling her I was telling Maria how I just really 
I just really wanted to, I really wanted to have this conversation with you. So wow. thank you so much for saying yes to this. No, no, no. Thank you for the invitation to both of you. <laughs> awesome. Well, we're off. We're off. We're off and starting. So what, one of the things we're we're, we have been doing, we have been doing is asking folks, how are they doing right now? This is a really interesting yeah. time and it's great to kind of get a gauge. So what's happening? How are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm actually doing fine. Mm-hmm. I'm doing fine. Um, it's been a time of a little bit like going into a, some sort of like a cocoon, mm-hmm. you know, going inwards in a certain way. Um, I realized that I have much time also. I've been able to take advantage of many online opportunities to study with, with teachers that I've, I've admired for years and to try different things. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, I've been okay. But being in Mexico at this time is really hard. Yeah. Because the pandemic really affects people. It's a pandemic that let's say is democratic in a sense because it really gets people from all groups. And unfortunately here is affecting more the classes that were already underserved and having a hard time. So, so that's really hard. It's really hard to deal with that, mm. you know? So it's one thing and the other. Um, I made a decision when the pandemic started to relatively quickly to start my classes online and that, that was the right decision. Mm-hmm. And I did it with the intention only to keep my students, the people who've been with me practically since I came to Merida, since we relocated here. And that has brought me so much satisfaction because there's no people going in and out of the groups Mm -hmm. so we can really work and I can, I know them and I know what will be appropriate, what what will be beneficial. Mm -hmm. And I can go into terrains that otherwise when you're giving an open class, We just, as teachers, we don't dare to, mm-hmm. you know, like to say, okay, we're going to do a sun salute today, but now we're going to do it with mantra, the whole thing with mantras. Mm. You know, if you do that in an open class, a bunch of people, we just roll their mats and leave, yeah. you know? So, <laughs> yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, or say, well, now we're going to do a 20 minute meditation, mm. and things like that, you know? Um, so that's been a luxury. Yeah, you know they're ready yeah. for it though. That's how it is a really amazing thing to have a group. You you have a shared uh, body of experience once you go week yeah. to week and a and a shared story in a way, and it's so right. Yeah, it's so powerful because mm-hmm. in many cases, you know, some of these people have been studying with me, but they had to take breaks or they got this conflict of in scheduling or whatever, and now. Let's say there's no excuse. We don't have anything else to do. <laughs> and, and they have to miss the class because there's something else. I bring the content um, to a Vimeo channel for 36 hours. So they have the chance to always go back. So in a way, we're all practicing together. Mm. So it's, it's worked. <laughs> How have you, it's, this, is, this is fantastic. And as many people that we've spoken to around, you know, what's happening and... <laughs> Um, I have not heard that perspective and I really love it. I love hearing that actually, because you're hearing people doing different things. You're hearing people, um, people's practices transforming in different ways, you know, with people at Mm -hmm. home as opposed to in 
in the space with you, there's a, there can be a little bit of freedom for them to explore on their own. But mm -hmm. I hadn't thought so much about this beauty of the container and the yeah. container that this is and how that is actually impacting. And so what yeah. my question for you is what, so how has this impacted your, your practice and you know, how you're, how you're, you know, engaging with all of this. Cause it's, I'm guessing there may be, I don't know. I don't want to even put words in your mouth. What do you, what do you got? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I have much more time to practice, which is a luxury. Yeah. Yeah. And also since I'm not interested in getting new students, I don't have to do marketing. Mm -hmm. I don't care about that. Yeah. I don't care about that. Yeah. So who is attracted to me and who's interested in what I have to offer comes to me and that's it. So I have much more time and uh, because of all this input that I've been getting from other practices, from other teachers, on one side, I feel like a child in a candy store, you know, like <laughs> I want to do everything, I want to try everything. Yeah. Um, but I always find myself going back to certain things, maybe trying something. I usually, when I see something that I think is interesting, I say, oh, this is interesting, okay. And then I go and practice for a few weeks mm -hmm. and see how that feels. And I never introduce more than one element at a time at my practice mm -hmm. to really see what that is mm -hmm. and how, how could that work or not. And sometimes I decide, no, this is not appropriate for me or this is not appropriate for me, but it is appropriate for my students. Mm -hmm. How can I teach this? And how can I give them this? Even if it's not something that will be for me. Mm. So it's, it's been a very rich, very, in that sense, a very nurturing time for me. Mm. I, I'm wondering now, <laughs> I got a question for you about, as soon as you said, I know it's not for me, but it is appropriate for them. Can you give us any insights about what, that, what that's like? How do you, and I know it, some of these things are difficult to <laughs> put into words, but how do you know? For example, I, I'm not hyper mobile. mobile. Okay. Uh -huh. Yeah, I don't have that. But I know some of my students are hyper, hyper mobile. Mm -hmm. So I say, okay, so how could I help them? Let me see that, let me try that. Mm -hmm. And then I can suggest them and guide them towards that. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a way Does in which I can be of service. Yeah. Yeah, although it doesn't, I don't need it for myself. Sure. But if I'm teaching, I have to be able to see what is useful mm. and how can I offer it in a way that people can try it and see if it works for them. I cannot tell them that I know it works because I, it, will, <laughs> it will not be for me, <laughs> right. but I can suggest it as an option. Mm, love it. Yeah. The idea of, of trying one thing at a time and introducing, because you don't want to, in a way, you don't want to confound the experiment by introducing too many variables at the same time. Mm. But there's right. a quality of ongoing practice that has a sameness to it. Yes. So is, is that, um, what is at the core of your practice? What is your background yeah. that creates that, well, that daily mm -hmm. practice to which you're adding? I, mm -hmm. um, my background and my practice has been very eclectic. It's sort of like my life. Sure. Um, but if I was to identify myself with one line, it is definitely Vini Yoga. Hmm. Definitely. It's a practice that has impacted me the deepest. Yeah. And the one that through thick and thin and through the decades, I always go back to. Mm -hmm. And my body goes back to it. 
even when, even when I was in my 20s. <laughs> so it's not about getting older, mm. but now that I'm aging, it's even more clear. And I get to appreciate my, more, more deeply also the, the richness of this practice, the different levels of the practice. Um, so it's more and more. It mm. is definitely Vini Yoga. Although mm. I'm not officially trained in Vini Yoga, I've never went to, to the whole, through the whole training. Mm. Uh, but definitely it is Vini Yoga, yeah. I would love to know, uh, and, and I think we're obviously gonna dive into that, but mm -hmm. my, I wanna understand um, your yoga story. Where did it, where did <laughs> you, cause I, I'm, when you say it's eclectic, I'm like, I got that from you that you've got all these interesting influences and yeah. from all around the world and people mm -hmm. and all the rest of it. And there's uh -huh. something about me that really, really um, loves that loves this practice mm -hmm. that is like a recipe. It's got all of these little pieces in it and all these yummy, you know, um, constituent, <laughs> constituent parts that just, that add to its complexity and its okay. ability to nourish you. And so can you just tell us, like start from the beginning, where did you, where did, where did, when did you come to yoga and, and how have okay. you gotten from there to here? Well, uh, it is a long story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I guess what's interesting is that I didn't come to yoga because there was something wrong with me or anything like that. Yeah. I came to yoga because I saw happy people. Mm. This was in Larchmont Village mm -hmm. in LA. Uh -huh. There was this coffee shop where I used to love to have tea and read, you know, sitting outside LA weather. weather. And I always saw people walking down the staircase and they all like, seemed like so happy and cold and loose. And I thought, what's going on in there, you know? So one day I went across and I climbed, <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> I climbed the staircase. Some of that? <laughs> Excuse me, hi, so what, what, what do you guys do here? You know? <laughs> Little did I know, it turns out that who was at the reception at that moment was Mati Esrati and I had oh. no clue. Oh. I didn't know, I didn't uh -huh. know. I didn't know, but there was this beautiful, tiny lady, so friendly. And she says, well, we do yoga here. And I said, and well, and what is that? Well, she sort of told me, and I said, well, and kind of like try it, sure. What do I need? Well, just bring your shorts and wear shorts and a towel. We didn't have yoga mats. Right. Then, you know, uh, bring your towel and okay, good. So the next day, there I go. And I took a class and I couldn't even understand exactly what was going on, but I felt so good. And it was like love of first sight. I just, I just thought, wow, this is wonderful. Um, maybe it felt so good, although I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't process it, but, but it was just the feeling. As I was growing up and as I was a teenager and young, I was trained as a dancer. Mm. both first classic and then modern dance. Mm -hmm. And at the end, I didn't want to do it because it was just too hard for my body and I couldn't understand why if something was hurting me where people were telling me to keep doing things. And, hmm. and it just, yeah, I just, I just couldn't do it. I just didn't want to do it. And when I tried yoga, I got the sense of the opposite. It was, it was about the opposite. Mm. So I said, yeah, this is more the, something that I could relate to. 
So that time when I was in LA, I still had to come back to Mexico. I was not permanently in LA at that moment. Um, I still had a job in Mexico. So I, I, I stayed, the time that I was there, I was, I was going to the center every day and just asking, which class could I take? Because they explained to me, there are some classes that definitely you don't want to take because you're just beginning. I say, okay, so what can I take? This, 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 okay, whatever. And I will go and I will just do whatever they told me to do. And I was mm-hmm. happy. The problem is that I have to come back because I had a job, no? So I say, okay, well, so I'll, I'll come back. And I went to Book Soup. That was the closest bookstore mm-hmm. on Sunset Boulevard. And I asked, so what, what do you have? I mean, do you have like some books or something like that? And they have this tiny book, Richard Hitler writes, 28 yoga days or days or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And I said, okay, that I want, I, I need that. I need it. <clears throat> and I dated it. And that's why I can track back exactly when I started doing yoga. Because, yeah, if, if it wasn't for that beautiful reminder. No? So I took it home and I tried to practice and I did what I could. And then in 86, when my contract with the Mexican government finished, um, first I studied mass communications. So I was a, I was a producer for, um, for a governmental network that did educational programs in Mexico. Mm-hmm. So I had a, a, a contract and I was very happy in doing what I was doing. But with that contract ended, I went back to the US and I said, okay, then I'm going to go back to UCLA and I'm going to get um, some specialty studies in film and television production. And that's when my relationship with yoga really deepened because then I was in the Mecca of yoga. So I could go to the Shivananda Center. I could go for the, to the center of yoga. I could take classes with Yogi Bhajan if I wanted. I could just do whatever I wanted. Mm. So for quite some time, I was just going to whatever worked in my schedule. But then it was in 86 that I found Fred Miller. Mm-hmm. My life changed. Fred L. Miller. This is in the center for yoga. Mm-hmm. I think it was 86. A Vini yoga teacher. And that was it. That was it. So as much as possible, I took classes with, with, um, with him and that led to deepening my studies, then to a visit to, quite, uh, to uh, the Krishnamacharya Yoga Mandiram. Mm-hmm. So can I interrupt? But it was a short stay. I never, I'm sorry? Well, no, I just wanted to interrupt because I thought, I wondered what was it about Fred Miller that kind of stopped you and, and, and captured you? I think first we had many things in common. He also worked in the film industry, but he was a very calm person. He is, he is, he, he's my friend and, and I love Fred and I'm so thankful for all his teachings, but a very down to earth person and someone with a depth. Yeah. Is someone you could trust mm. and who, commu- who communicates steadiness, loving kindness, mm-hmm. softness, and could still make a living in the film industry. Mm-hmm. So I say, how does he do it? Yeah, you know. The unicorn. I say, so it pos- <laughs> I say, it is possible. It is possible. Yeah. No? So that was, that's, and of course, the, the Vini yoga practice you know that it's so gentle and so much about going inwards and seeing what's happening with you and really concentrating on your breath and I think that ability to pause and go inwards 
is actually what saved me from insanity from all the years that I worked in the film industry. Mm. If, I, if it had not been for that, I don't mm. think I could have turned out to be how I am. Wow. Mm. Yeah, just that simple practice to be able to say, I'm breathing, I need to be inwards, I need a pause, and then move. That was the magic of Fred. You know? hmm. So, yeah, so, you know, so I, I did a lot of Shivananda too, especially when I was in Germany. Okay, I'm jumping, I'm jumping. Okay, so from, <laughs> so from, so, so in a way, I, I had, gee, I had the opportunity to study with many great people. Um, that's also where uh, I took for several years lessons with Larry Payne. Mm-hmm. Another person who might consider my mentor, my inspiration, a good friend, a wonderful person. Mm. Did you go through his yoga therapy program, his yoga RX no, program? I, no, I was already in Germany by that time when he okay. started doing that. Yes. This was when he was still teaching regularly at Yoga Works. Mm-hmm. Yoga Works on Montana Avenue. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that one. Yeah. And that's where I also met Mati. And then I did my first yoga training. It was in 98 with, with Machi and with Lisa Waldorf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 98. It was, yeah, it was one of the first national uh, programs that they did for, for, tra- for teaching people. But it, was, what, it, was, very, it what, was very interesting because we had books that were younger, but also we had this guitarist book. Wanted to say something, Char? Yeah, what, may, what made you decide to do a yoga teacher training? Well, you know, Probably when I was about three years into my practice, people that I worked with started asking me if I could teach them. I didn't intend to. And I said, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, I mean I've seen that you can keep cool in spite of all this craziness. Can you just teach me like a few things? Or I have this little stress here and I can't sleep. And, and so it started like that. Mm-hmm. It was not, yeah, <laughs> just neighbors and my, <laughs> and my friends and family and things like that. And then in 98, when, um, when the training was offered by Marty, I had a conversation with her because I went to classes from different teachers. Um, Eric Schiffman was another one of my favorite teachers. Um, Max Strom. So I, I really, I really, I really, it was really a wonderful time. And Marty told me that it makes sense to do the teacher training because she saw something in me. Hmm. They said, why don't you take it? And then you decide if, this, if you really wanna teach. I, I had a very successful um, career in the business, industry, in the film industry. Um, and she says, why don't you do it? And then you decide if you wanna do the final test or not. And if you just have the, the certificate, you can just put it in your file cabinet just leave it as an experience. And I thought, well, this is a good idea. And also a good friend of mine, Saraswati, was taking the training. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, so I can support Saraswati and I will do it too. Sounds like a great way to spend three week, three months every single weekend at Yoga Works. Mm-hmm. So we did it together, Saraswati and I. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Uh, I loved it because although the practice from Mati was so different to the practice that I, that I do myself. Yeah. 
they created this container, she and Lisa created this container where we could all explore and adapt. So there was all this huge flexibility. In mm. balancing, because we used several books, we had a literature list and the whole thing. So yeah, the, the technique was Iyengar, but at the mm -hmm. same time we were reading Desika Char's book, mm -hmm. The Heart of Yoga. Mm -hmm. So you, you had these options and it was, it was an enrichment for me because I learned things about alignment that now we know that we have to discard a bunch of stuff. And I was able to incorporate new, new techniques and new perspectives in my practice. I think that's actually what changed me completely and at a certain point, I started changing so much. At a certain point, I didn't want to eat meat anymore. I was not interested in many things. Uh, I decided that a relationship that I was in was not supportive of what was important for me. Mm -hmm. um, I decided that I didn't care about having the latest Mercedes-Benz model and a bunch of stuff. I started making huge changes in my life. Mm. And it came to the point where I say, I don't want to work in the industry anymore. Hmm. Uh -huh. That's a big one. Yes, yes. But it happened, everything sort of worked out because it also happened at the time when I had, I was in a new relationship with Stefan, who's my husband. He's been my husband for the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. And I had to move to Germany because he was the editor of the newspaper there. Mm -hmm. And it was easier for me to move there than for him to move to the US. He depends on language and culture and history and all that for his work. And I have lived in so many places in the world that I say, well, whatever, you know, I can go, no problem. <laughs> One more move. <laughs> so there I go to Germany. So I had to start all over. Mm. And I say, okay, fine. Things didn't work out the way I expected them because I thought I could do my PhD on film and television. Mm -hmm. uh, I even had this subject. I was gonna work on the films of Bing Vendors because mm -hmm. I love Bing Vendors' work. And I had worked with him mm -hmm. in shooting films and, and I thought this is something that I could commit myself for several years to do, but it didn't work. <laughs> so, so I said, okay, if I have to start all over, what am I gonna do? I say, okay, then if I have to do a master's again, I'm going to do a master's in cultural anthropology. Mm. Because that's what makes sense to me. Yeah. That's about how we all as humans have the same needs, but we find different ways to satisfy those needs. Mm. And how they're all valid. And how rituals give meaning to life and how social the social fabric and the cultural fabric in which we are provides a sense of who we are mm. so i said this is what i want to do and when i was in germany i did that and then i did my phd and i dive into other stories so i did a lot of shivananda and then i did another 300 hour training and I did a bunch of stuff, yoga for old age, yoga for spine, yoga nidra, everything that I could do. And I got certificates on that. And then in 1997, we decided to relocate mm -hmm. to Merida, um, my husband and I. And then I said, okay, I'm quitting my job as a professor at the university. And I am gonna dedicate myself to yoga. Hmm. And that's what I did. 
And that's what I am. <laughs> and so right now you do- Sorry, what's a long story? <laughs> no way, that was beautiful. In fact, I had a couple, like, like <clears throat> when you talked about deciding to study cultural anthropology, I immediately had this, this, this question popped into my head that isn't fully foreign, but it was really, and you kind of touched on some of it, but I'd love to hear any other insights that you have about being able to come to a study like that with this background of yoga and how, um, how your understanding of yoga and what it is and how it speaks to who we are as individuals and collectively, how, how did that inform what you were able to receive from your cultural anthropology studies? Well, I, I love the question. <laughs> okay, let's see how I can answer that. Um, I like this because it, it, it invites me to reflect. First, you know, I, my first approach was through the sense of identity. Mm. Probably because I was coming from the LA yoga scene, which is so much about image and looking good and all that. So that was my first approach. How do we construct our identity through the practice of yoga? Our affiliations, our sense of, of group. How do we present ourselves? And I think through time, at a certain point, I added another component that was that of embodiment. Mm -hmm. How does it feel? Until I added that in that component, I didn't I didn't have fully present the sense that we carry our story in our bodies. And we're culturally taking input since we're little about how to move, how to speak, how, if it's okay to move your hands or not, for example. Mm -hmm. you know, how do we do that? Do I move it like this? Mm -hmm. Do I keep them like this? You know. Mm -hmm. We get all that from, from our primary groups, you know? So I started looking at that and that was another approach. And then I ended up understanding also, or asking questions, trying more than anything, asking questions about how it has migrated, yoga itself has migrated, not only transformation through time, but also how the historical political transformations of India influenced what we understood as yoga, as yoga came to the Americas in the 19th century. And then all the transmutations and all the processes of acculturation, integration, but also marginalization that had happened. So I ended up specializing in migration studies because I wanted to find a specialization that will allow me to have a wide range of objects, experiences to contemplate. And migration allows you to do that. So what I'm interested is in the stories that we as people carry with our cells bring, but also what happens with this phenomenon, such as yoga. The other thing that I, I didn't include in my, so some my uh, summary of the story, another element came to my life in the 90s and that was mindfulness meditation. Mm -hmm. That changed me also. Yeah. I have tried meditation in other styles, from Zen uh, to transcendental meditation and Osho. And I don't know, I tried everything that came my way. But until I found, found uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's teachings, I 
had not found home. Mm. So uh, I was completely in a different space from then on. So this this ideas or these concepts from from um, cultural anthropology allow me to understand all those mixes mm-hmm. that happen in mindfulness, that happen in yoga, how do we experience it, how do we present them, what do we take, what do we, what do we leave out? Yeah. Wow. I hope I'm answering your question. Yeah. Oh my gosh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> like you're answering the question and you're bringing more. I'm, there's all these <laughs> other things, but wait, Maria wants to say something. And actually before we- I just wanted to kind of recap because I just thought it was such a beautiful thing to start with identity. <clears throat> Love that. In that kind of intellectual constructed way. Mm-hmm. And then to say, wait a second, embodiment. Like, what does it feel like? Because that's a really different, we can bullshit ourselves all over the place with, with that, that intellectual approach. But it's when you drop into your body that it, it really tells the truth and you have to operate yeah. in a completely different way. So yeah. I love that. And then of course, mindfulness, which it almost links both those up because you get that, you dropped out of that chattery mind into the body become present in the body, and then you've become mindful. It's like you've accessed that metacognition. I just, just found that the most amazing journey. No. <laughs> so Alma, <laughs> the thing that was coming up, firstly, thank you. That is just, it's just so beautiful. I can feel some of the aspects of that journey. And I love, I just really love that. I love that you share on this level. The, one of the things that was coming to me as I was hearing you talk about this process is the fact that you also chose to study, uh, you were saying uh, um, yoga for older people and you talked about kind of these uh, more therapeutic, more therapeutic, in my mind, more therapeutic um, approaches. And I got this, I'd love to hear your insights about this because I've got these, I have these questions about how, who we are and how our cultures um, whether that's a yoga culture or whether that's a Western, some, some sort of Western culture, how that impacts our ability, our healing and our ability to heal. And as somebody who studied cultural anthropology and yoga in these kind of more therapeutic approaches to it, and even honestly, even Vini yoga in the way that it's focuses very much on the, on practice for the individual, I'd love to hear any thoughts you might have about this. Mm-hmm. I think in a way, here I also have to reflect at the same time that I'm talking, but it's normal. <laughs> I think in a way we we know what we think once we start talking. Yeah. That's when surprises come out. Yeah. Yep. I love that. Um, Go. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, you know, I think when we compare cultures, there's groups in which physical activity is much more embedded in daily life mm-hmm. where um, daily carrying things moving around fishing harvesting imply much more movement we don't have that in our western culture mm-hmm. so we have this idea that we move only that in the, those ways that are basic. And we have a tendency towards creating compartments 
this is my daily life and this is my exercise. And we still think in terms of exercise primarily. No? Mm. And we like to think about a spiritual dimension is, is uh, let's say, uh, not a very popular thing still. For some reason, we created a culture where to speak about our being temporarily here and our, the fragility of our human condition is not really welcome. But once we start understanding that and we become aware of that and we realize that we can actually integrate everything, it's a complete different sense and a complete different way of moving and and, uh, and living. When I started studying all these therapeutic approaches was basically because, part of because I was dealing with the results of my academic life, mm. of hours on computers, writing books, uh, present, doing presentations, maybe listening compassionately to my body and do what it's appropriate right at the moment. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. Oh, Char. you are. You definitely mm -hmm. are. I, I wonder what it's been like for you having stepped away from, you know, from that, that life and kind of thrown your arms wholeheartedly around the practice and the sharing of yoga what has how is that i don't know how has that shifted you know who you are if it if it has at all oh i love it <laughs> <laughs> i've never i've never been happier yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i love my academic work yeah um i got great friends who i really love um great colleagues at the university but we have to remember, I was in a very protective, protected environment. I was at a university in a department of cultural anthropology, mm. you know, where differences and different cultures are welcome and everyone loves everyone, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> and everyone wants to learn from everyone. Very different to the, excuse me, but cutthroat mm. environment that you find in the film industry. So for me, that was already a step into going into academic work world, um, a step into going into what I wanted, something that was more caring, more loving, more nourishing. So it's been a gradual change for me. I never had the problem or th of thinking, wow, what am I gonna be if I'm not a university professor? Mm -hmm. Because I feel like the work that I wanted to do I've already delivered it. I wrote the books that I had to write, the stories that were told to me, uh, have been narrated and given back to the people that they belong to, to my informants, to, to the people who, who trusted me. You know? um, and I concluded that very happily. So it was a good ending. What did find as I moved into, let's say full-time yoga teaching, although I don't teach as many classes because I don't wanna do that, mm -hmm. um, is a lot of uncertainty. 
I had no clue how that was going to be. Mm. And I had no clue how was the, the, that was going to be here in Mexico, especially in, in this country, in this place where we are. But I think my yoga training and my mindfulness training have helped me enormously to deal with uncertainty and know that it's okay. That I don't have to know. And that whatever I think I know is not going to be anymore in five minutes. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I shouldn't, yeah. So I should not hold on too much to it. Yeah, yeah. we t- we talk a lot about that too in our in our um the in our class with Jay Brown and the t- and a lot of the teachers there is this concept or this idea of uncertainty keeps coming up again and again. Yeah. And and it makes sense to me that it does because it is it is uh I guess in many ways the water we we swim in, you know, it's the environment that we live in, and it it's interesting at, at this time in our lives, in everyone's lives. It I feel one as a person who's practiced yoga and and taught it for a while. Exactly what you're saying is that yoga has prepared us or prepared me in particular, or is I should say, because I don't actually ever feel really prepared for managing my natural physiological and mental and emotional response to uncertainty. And in some ways, because of that, I feel this little bit of responsibility as a practitioner and as a teacher to, um, to, I guess, to share that or to kind of throw my arms around as many people as possible to try to instill this message. And I wonder for you, you know, having come to that realization about uncertainty and having had those experiences yourself and, and also, I'm sorry, this is a really long question. And also living in this moment, have you gotten quite present to what this moment means you have extra to give, you know, based on where you've come from um, to your students and even to your community around dealing with this uncertainty that we're that feels so freaking palpable right now. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's a big challenge. It's a big challenge, but it's also an opportunity. It doesn't mean that I can always be in that place where I say, okay, it will be fine. Mm-hmm. Of course, understanding that it doesn't mean that I'm going to be passive and I'm not going to do anything. Yeah. Um, after all, I've been a doer my whole life. <laughs> so it's, it just means that... Um, Maybe I'm practicing to be very selective mm. in what I do. For example, I realize that, yeah, I can, I can um, share these tools with my students is one level or one group with, with whom I can share practices, ideas, reflections, poetry, as we've mentioned in one of Jay's classes, Shara. Mm. Um, poetry is part of my spiritual discipline to read poetry so all, all this I, I can share in my in my classes but I also realized that I have to be more hands-on and more present in my community so for example I created a little whatsapp group in the neighborhood and we help ourselves with whatever is needed, if someone needs food, if there's an elderly person who needs medicine or attention or company, if, uh, if well, there's, uh, well, 
criminality has also risen because of the pandemic and there's much need. So also watch out, uh, the police is coming because this happened or that happened. So it's another way, and, but always trying not to create panic and just say, okay, let's deal with this in the way that we can uh, more skillfully and then let it go. So those are ways in which I can I feel I can be of service or collecting things, for example, medical supplies among my students that we donate to hospitals, uh, which need those supplies. The other way is that for every, from the yoga fees that my students pay, first, not all of them pay because some people don't have money or some people require a reduced rate, which is okay with me. Um, and other students, um, if they are healthcare providers, they don't pay. This is my way of saying thank you to them. And from whatever I collect from fees, I donate a percentage to a dog shelter, a dog and cat shelter, mm. because they don't have any support from the government at the moment. So these are ways of being present and understanding that everything's permanent, but at the same time, that what we do is supremely important. That every decision we take can help, can ignore, or can reject something. So I try to make decisions that support and help. Not always successfully again, I'm far away from being perfect, you know, but, but these are the things that I think during the pandemic are, are more important to do. What, what I think I've been called to, to practice at the moment. I love that. So do we mm -hmm. Absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. and it, it makes me, it makes me think it relates a little bit to what you said um, that you remember every day that we're that you're aging, because aging is yeah. is also is one of those that that brings it into perspective. How to yeah. and you go inwards, listening compassionately to your body. And I wondered, I wanted to explore a little bit. It sounds the same. It's like you're listening into this impermanence. Yeah. And respond. Yeah. How, what does that look like in your practice? Well, there's, there's a, let's say, formal practice. I, first, it's hard for me to distinguish what goes on in the mat and what's outside. For me, mm -hmm. everything that. is the same. Mm -hmm. For me, everything is the same. Yeah. I think my practice really makes sense to me when I was able to connect everything. There was a time when I was doing a very active yoga, let's say the first two years of my practice, or when I was not around Fred or Larry, that I dive into power yoga and vinyasa, and I did everything that came my way, you know? Mm -hmm. But I was not connected my heart to it. So my practice was not really complete. It was important because I was doing something for my body, but it was not fully working. When, when I really connect everything, the results are different because I realize, and this is something that Gary Crafso says, who's a teacher I admire. Mm. Also. I, I, I read so much, I learned so much from Gary. Uh, 
I devour all his books and I attended all the possible workshops from him. Mm. Gary says that we practice yoga because it prepares us for death. Mm. Yes. I was thinking that too. Yes. And this is not in a morbid way. This is just the understanding that we are here temporarily and that our encounter with everything and everyone could be the last. And that we have to really be generous and kind because that might be our last chance to do that. So that's how I tried to move. But I could only do that until my practice was integrated, until it was part of my life. Because there's no distinction. What I eat is of great importance. And I don't eat meat for moral issues. I don't want animals being sacrificed for me. If I can supply my protein in different ways. And if I don't have a condition, I understand there's friends. I have friends who have certain conditions and definitely have to eat meat, fully understand. But in my case, it doesn't apply. I will not drink wine because with the amount of land that you need to produce wine, you could feed people and there's so much hunger in the world. So I try to make decisions in my life and my lifestyle that are promoting life. So for me, everything is the same. It, there's really no difference between my practice on, on the mat and what I do outside or how I water my grass or how I go to the supermarket. You know? I don't see the difference. Mm. <laughs> That's beautiful. It is. I really mm. love that. And I said, in many ways, I feel like that is what yoga is asking us to do or to be is, you know, coming to this understanding or this, um, it's not even an understanding. It feels like there's this veil between for many of us. And I'm so glad that you've talked about this in this way. Cause I can tell you, this is really inspiring hearing this Alma. Um, but I, for so many of us, are so many out there who are practicing yoga, it feels like there's this definite dividing line between, you know, what, what happens on the mat in every aspect. I know, you know, in the classes that I teach, I, I often ask people to not just have an, a physical experience, but also a mental and emotional experience. And the hope is that they will, you know, as they step off of their mats back into the world, that 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 will stay with them. And I do believe it does in some ways, but it's really lovely to hear this fullness of your practice of yoga from, you know, from what you're eating to the things that you're creating in your community. And to, I suppose, even just um, the, the, the center of who you are and how that may be shifting as a result of that. I, I, it just keeps, it brings me back to this idea of like being the change, you know, that we want to see in the world. Yeah, you know, but it, it takes a long time. You yeah. know, the, that's why I, I guess that it's important not to be judgmental. Mm -hmm. um, we all have different timings mm. in our lives. In my case, the first years of my practice again were were very physical 
And it wasn't until, well, it took time. It took time and it's still sink, sinking in. And I don't know where it's going or how it's gonna move any farther. I have no idea, no? Um, yeah, we all have different objectives to different lives. In a way, the price, let's say, that I have to pay was to disintegrate my previous lives. Oh, my know. life, yeah, you know, I had, I had to, to shed my skin, perhaps as a snake does when it grows, or as a tree does when it mm. changes the bark. You know, we see this man, this magnificent big trees with huge leaves because they grew and every time there's this specific tree, I don't remember what the branch is, that has to get rid of the whole bark so it can become huge and thick and full of life. That's what happened in my case. I had to get rid of all that. Mm. So it's been a process of simplifying, deeply simplifying my external life of letting go a, a lot. For example, when we left Germany and, and actually you need a partner that can do this with you, which is mm. very challenging. Mm. But I, I got the right one. Yeah. I got the right one. Um, when we left Germany, we donated 3000 books to the library of, yeah, what that was. Wow. And, and my husband donated all his work in life. There's a section in the, in the, in the Iberoamericanische um, Institut Berlin with his name <laughs> because his papers and all his fruiting plants and all his, the results of his research are already there. So I think once you start making all these changes, these changes also affect the people that are close to you. Mm. And they have to be able to do this with you. I'm very fortunate that they could do this with me. Same thing with my brothers, no? Mm. Yeah. Um, I'm very fortunate. So there's a bunch of things that have supported me in this life to make all this. I don't think it's my credit at all. <laughs> you know, I think, no, I think I had these wonderful teachers yeah. who gave me so much. I had this privilege of um, being able to grow up in different cultures, being able to learn different languages. I had a very protected life in a way, uh, although I had to put myself through college and all that, but well, I made it, I made it through it. Um, and now it's my time to give back for as long as I'm breathing. I think that's what I'm here to do. I, I, the, when you said it was your price to pay, that you had to disintegrate previous lives and kind of shed your skin like a snake, I just, I, it's, it's so wonderful because it is that process of, of a constant transformation. You know, it doesn't, it takes time, as you said, and it takes these, small little crises of letting go. And having done that, I, it, does it feel like you hold the place for your students for that? Are you seeing your students, uh, I'm not sure what my question is, but you know, we see our students, I guess, coming to these crises and having come through them yourself, you can hold that space for them. I don't know if you wanna to speak to that. Yeah, yeah, that's my aspiration to hold space. 
by the way, I just listened yesterday to this wonderful interview you did about holding space. Mm. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, because it's a concept that we use and something about which, what we talk about, but what is it? How does it feel? Mm -hmm. And what's the importance of it? You know? Yeah, my aspiration is to do that. Um, we're going to know in a little bit of time how that goes, because I think we're going through a huge crisis. Mm -hmm. Once we emerge from this, we're going to know really how this went and in how far I was able to support them. What's important for me is that they continue to practice. Um, that they don't give up to pessimism or lethargy or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. that they continue to practice and they allow me to be close to them. And uh, we're going to see when this happens later. I've seen people already before the crisis going through transformations uh, because the, the practice, yoga practice is very powerful if we let it, if we really listen and start taking the steps in the right direction. But to do that, we need to have faith and this is, this is difficult in our culture. Mm. We think that faith means blind belief in a specific God. It's not how I define it or not how I experience it. For me, faith is the belief that the universe is supporting me. Mm -hmm. And if I'm listening and I'm keeping a conversation with the universe, not only in my head with myself and my little needs and my little wants and do I look good, mm. you know? Mm. If I can go beyond that and really keep an open conversation with those around me, those who are completely different with me, with my environment, then I'm able to change. Then I'm able to respond. Then I become malleable so that things can happen. Otherwise, we're too hard. We're too stiff. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about something. You're gonna understand this. As yoga teachers, you're gonna understand this. I got once a message from a person who wanted to have a small group class, but this person wanted a specific amount of time, only wanted physical movement. He told me what he wanted to do and what they didn't wanna do. No meditation, no breathing, no vocal stuff, uh, no mantras. My answer us was, I'm sorry, I don't think I'm the teacher that you are needing at the moment. Yeah? Yeah, um, yeah you know, because if we, if we are so tied on something, we cannot see what else is coming. Mm. So many people come to the class and they don't really know what it's going to happen. And that's okay. You know, then maybe I can sneak in a little breathing exercise, two, three minutes. Then maybe I can sneak in a couple of minutes of relaxation. Then me, maybe I can sneak in then another time, a little bit of mantra recitation. So a little bit of change. But when there's a students that I see that they, they are really not open it's not the right time or I'm not the right person. Yeah. I, so, I, just let, uh, I just let it go. I just let it go. Yeah. I, I, I so love that you brought up this idea of faith, Alma. It, 
it's and it's I am I'm constantly and I'm so delighted when this happens is that I'm constantly seeing well not as constantly as I'd like but these this these connections being drawn from experiences that I'm having and the experience and I'll explain what I mean in a sec the experiences underlie what I'm coming to believe is truth and Maria and I have had actually a number of conversations around this idea of faith and the most recent one and as soon as you said that I was just like oh like I had my 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 this is the truth chills like going <laughs> at the back of my neck we were we were, we, did you Maria? Oh my gosh. We were uh, studying, uh, we've been doing, we had been doing this, this online sutras course with um, Ranji Roy and David Charlton. And Ooh. we, oh, and it's, it's amazing. It's just brilliant. Yeah. I'm envious in a positive way. <laughs> oh, they, they are incredible teachers. And one of the, the conversations that we had around it was this idea of faith and yeah. how it is, it is such a, it is, it's one of the first requirements. And in fact, that, that made me think of the other, um, the woman who'd made the film that we did the interview with. And I can't, for some reason, her name is escaping me at the moment. Oh, me too. Um, mm. And she did, a, she, her film was about what's required for yoga practice. Yeah. And faith was one of the very first things that's required. She had this whole, it was, she had this whole, I think it was like seven components. But what, what, what really, um, what I really thought about when you mentioned faith and the way that you talked about it is what Maria told, said to me during our discussion about faith. And it's that the role of yoga teachers is to inspire that faith. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was a beautiful mm -hmm. thing, Maria. She says mm -hmm. lots of gorgeous things. And mm. yeah. And I just, as, as you were talking about that, I was, I'm seeing that in, you know, everything that you've talked about and and I love hearing that from you because it very much reinforces what I believe is true. And it, yeah. it, it was Emma Balnav. Bal yeah, that's it. Yeah. Emma Balnav. Yeah. 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 I remember the interview was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But um, Dave Charlton and and uh, Ranju. Yeah, and Ranju and I guess their teacher Peter Hershnack talked about Ishvara Pranidhana being. Mm -hmm. It, it yeah. almost said it exactly. Faith that 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 you're being supported is yeah. the, that the universe is supporting you. It was really in the, in the kind of goodness of the universe. And I thought that is absolutely it. And they see it as this kind of transcendent, um, it, for them, everything is about relationships. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Relationships, but that is kind of transcends all relationships. And it's just, oh, you gave me the chills mm. <laughs> in the nicest possible way. Yeah. You know, so if, if we feel supported by the universe, we can support our students. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, we, we, can, we can guide them through a physical practice, but we leave all the other elements outside. Mm. So the practice can be much more powerful once, if you come from this, this sense of, of wanting to be there wanted to be present and say okay how can I how can I be of service to you how can I support you in this mm. what is it that you need what can I give you that is useful at least that's how my teachers treated me I mm. learned that from them mm. you know yeah these were these are people these are men 
interesting, most of them are men, not two of them are women, not three of them are women, um, who rarely spoke about themselves. They were much more interested in knowing what was going on with my practice, how I experienced things, what I wanted to try, you know, a complete different approach and very deep people. So people with whom you could talk about things that really matter in life, not about fashion or where am I going to go on vacation? What will be a good drink? What's a fashionable drink or stuff like that? No? Mm. So, um, so it depends, depends how we practice is what we can give. Of course, this is not going to attract everyone. Mm. There's people I'm sure are going to be terrified to hear the things that I say. <laughs> you know, um, it's okay. Yeah. It's fine. You know, but for me, practice is very joyful. It's a refuge. And it's something, it's a conversation with the universe. So that's how I teach and that's how I practice every day. Mm. <laughs> that is beautiful. It is, it is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. So, the, so as we kind of start to wrap things up a little bit, mm -hmm. the question that is coming to my mind, and we've kind of touched on it a little, but somehow it's still there because I know that there are many people who are, who are out there asking themselves questions about, as, as there have always been, but it feels like this time in particular um, is a moment of intense <laughs> we're all feeling it um if you had anything to share with practitioners of yoga and teachers of yoga perhaps any advice kind of based on your own experience and honestly i gotta tell you like you just every your whole life that you've shared with us has in many ways been a bit of that about how we can you know, continue to support ourselves and how we can continue to, as teachers, I suppose, and as we're all family, me family members, we're all supports, we're all, all offering supports for somebody. Um, sort of any advice or any wisdom about how we can, how best we can do that? I know this is a hard question. So I yeah, it's very hard. And I don't know if I will be the right person to advise anybody of anything. You know? <laughs> I don't think I would be the right so person for that. So, so perhaps maybe instead of asking it in that way that makes it feel a little bit challenging and puts you on the spot, is there anything that you would share that of all of over all of your experience um, that you feel like you know is true and it's something that you would really like love for others outside of what you've perhaps of what you've already shared you feel like you would you would want others to know or to understand too well i guess is that what has i can only say what has helped me yep what has inspired me and that's to look for that which is true mm which is true in the sense of not being temporal. Mm. <laughs> That's what has helped me to shed my old skins, my degrees, you know, the PhD, the masters or whatever, all that is temporal. So it's temporary. So I don't, I, 
cannot be too attached to it. Um, and I, what has helped me is to concentrate in that which doesn't die, which is Hurudaya, uh, my spirit. Mm. That's what it's important. And that's, the, that's what I wanna nurture and preserve and care for. I don't care if I look old. I don't care if I get wrinkles, if my downward dog is not perfect. That's completely irrelevant. If my heart is open and in the right place. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Isn't it? Maria, did you have mm -hmm. any other, any last things that you wanted to, to touch? No, I mean, with I, Alma? you know, I, I just, feel, I feel so really touched and, mm. and um, I guess affirmed and, and connected. And, and I just, I mean, what you just said is, is exactly that. And it's the challenge is to tap into that because it's easy to say, but fear is also um, blows quite a cold wind down your neck when challenges come or when someone says, okay, shed your skin. And you're like, but wait, I like it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's normal, it's normal. You know, yeah. and it doesn't mean that I, when I went through all three these transitions, I didn't have those moments. Of course I have them. Yeah. But then I have to go back into that space within me that says, it's okay, just breathe it. Mm -hmm. Take it in, you're afraid. Still, move forward. It's the right decision. Move forward. And yoga gives us the technology for that. And I think that's what your story has, has let us know. And it's, it feels that right now you're in the perfect place during this pandemic and this strange time to be sharing what you know. And that, it, as you said, in that very specific way to that specific group of people. It's yeah, really powerful. I think I think we sometimes think, oh, we're not doing enough, or famous enough, or getting enough people, or marketing mm. enough. But, yeah. But actually, the power of sharing in that intimacy of that little community that you've created is is profound. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. You know, and, and as a yoga teacher, you have a tremendous influence of, on people. Yeah. You know, I met Fred in 1986, and he's still with me. Mm-hmm. He'll always be with me, <laughs> not only through Facebook now that we're living so far away, you know, or, yeah. or Larry or any of the people who have influenced me. Yeah. Uh, your life can really change, change in a positive way so that you can, you can be happier mm. with very small things, just with seeing the sunrise and seeing your dog walking and smelling the soup you're cooking. I mean, there's so many reasons to be happy. We mm. just have to be present for that. And if we can help people enjoy those little moments, even in the middle of this pandemic, mm. they will be nurturing the seeds that can help them to get through this pandemic better. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I love all of this so much. And this conversation to me, has been just yet another example of why we do this, of why, you know, Maria and I have chosen to, to have these conversations with people. This has fed me in so many ways, Alma. And, and the, beauty of it, the beauty of it is that I knew it would. And so I'm, 
I'm feeling even better. I'm feeling even better. But you know, we talk about we talk about the tools of yoga, and you know, there's I don't even know how many people that are out there there are out there in the world practicing yoga, but it's a lot. But to me, you know, it comes back to it comes back to to hearing stories like yours and 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 seeing the way you know lives of people like you have unfolded because I think seeing this seeing these principles embodied seeing them lived is is really what inspires our faith to to dive in and dive deeper so I really just want to thank you for for every for who you are in the world and for your willingness to share that with us and with the people in your little community and and now with the people in our communities and yeah you've just you've had such an impact so thank you so much for all of this you know my thanks go to you maria and char it's been a pleasure yeah. what else could i ask for huh to be able to talk about our love for yoga for yeah. this time is wonderful mm. thanks so much thanks yeah. so much to you thank you Stay well. Thank you. You too, Alma. Thanks again. Thanks, Simone. Thanks to you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Okay. So I hope that you enjoyed that as much as we did. You know, there is something about having deep and meaningful conversations with smart and feeling people. I so often feel changed by it and forever grateful for the fact that we can do this work. So huge thanks to you, Alma for just saying yes to my invitation and to life in the way that you do. And a really big thanks to you out there for listening and for being the cherry on top of this podcast adventure. And by that, I just mean that having these conversations is great, but the fact that someone's out there listening and maybe even learning and being transformed right along with us, well, that is the topper. And so Maria and I have been busy talking away and we've recorded a bunch more conversations that we cannot wait to share with you. Our next one was recorded the day after the election in the U.S. with Christine Calvary-Weber and Keisha Battles. And the two of them are working on a project that is so incredibly compelling that you're definitely going to want to hear about it. It was another beautiful conversation with beautiful people doing yes beautiful things in the world. And so why not subscribe to the podcast so that you'll be the first to know when it's ready for listening. Until then, take care of yourselves. Namaste. Namaste.